Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Right now, the whole world, the whole world is at a wedding. The waitress pouring coffee in a corner biscuit shop, right now she's at a wedding. The third shift factory worker who's come home and has collapsed into bed from exhaustion for a long night of work, he is at a wedding. The children restless in their pews in churches all across the world, they are at a wedding. The men and women right now dozing in their beds trying to sleep off last night's mistakes and tragedies, they are at a wedding. Now let me make a little bit of sense here for you. You see, in, in Scripture, the church is called the Bride of Christ. Everyone who believes in Jesus is called the Bride of Christ. It's a metaphor used in Scripture. And Jesus, then, is the groom. And when you have a groom and a bride, what do you have? you got a wedding, right? Well, the church, then, is Christ's bride, but it's scattered throughout the world. So... Here's the church waiting for the groom to come. This means that we're not at one of those modern weddings where the wedding only starts once everyone is finally all together and the bride is coming down the aisle and the music is playing. No, this is one of those ancient kind of weddings that we're in, the, the kind that were more typical in Jesus' day, where you have the, the bride, and there she is in her village, and family is gathering, and, and people from the village and friends are all getting together, but the groom hasn't come yet. And so the bride waits for the groom to arrive, and it could take days in those times, or it could have taken weeks before the groom finally showed up. And that's the kind of wedding you and I and the whole world is at. One of those ancient weddings. Because we, the church, are waiting for Christ to come. And even unbelievers are at this wedding because, as I mentioned before, the church has been scattered throughout the earth, so unbelievers are constantly in the presence of believers. So everyone around the world is at this wedding, whether they realize it or not, and we're all waiting, whether we know it or not, for Christ to return. We begin this way because today's question from our series of tough questions, again, we gave you postcards on Easter morning, and you all wrote down questions. Many of you did, and, and we turned it into a sermon series, your toughest questions about the Christian faith. Well, the question today is, why does marriage matter? And I, I admit I shaped up that question a little bit. Uh, the, the question I got actually on the postcard said, young people are fed so many lies today. Why is it important to wait until marriage? But as I looked at that question, I began to realize we need to back up and actually talk about why marriage matters at all, and then we'll get to the other question. Why does it matter at all? Well, one thing, the whole world is at a wedding. In fact, marriage is the first human experience, the first human relationship experience on this earth. When, when God created Adam, he realized that it's not good for man to be alone. And so he put Adam into a deep sleep, took from one of his ribs, and out of that rib he formed Eve, as we read in Genesis. And right away, as soon as they first laid eyes on each other, God stood there and blessed their relationship. He joined them together in marriage and said, be fruitful and multiply. It was a wedding. The first human relationship was a wedding. It was a marriage. 
And it wasn't just a spiritual marriage. It wasn't just a sentimental marriage. God was their father giving his approval as their creator. He was their father, and there he is giving his approval of this relationship, but also God was king. And so as king, according to his authority, he was binding these two together. So God, when he was blessing Adam and Eve, he was speaking both out of his spiritual and fatherly authority, but also in his civil and governmental authority. And speaking from both authorities, he joined them together in marriage. As we already mentioned, it's the last human experience, the last human relationship, and that human relationship will endure forever. Christ and his bride, the church, together. Now, I want to pause right here because I know that there's some language that might creep you out a little bit. It does me sometimes when I talk about it. The bride of Christ, right? That's a metaphor in Scripture, and it's kind of strange for me, a guy, to say I'm a bride. Yep, a beautiful one at that, aren't I? Uh, the bride of Christ. And men, I don't want to make you unsettled or uneasy. Again, it's a metaphor from Scripture that describes Christ's love for his church. It's not an earthly wedding between man and woman. It's a different thing altogether, but there are similarities. One, Christ laid down his life for the church. He laid down his own life for the church as a husband would for his wife that he dearly loves. Christ desires to be with his church forever, just as bride and groom say that they will be together throughout this life and their wedding vows. So those are just a couple of the similarities, and hopefully that, that, that pushes back some of the creepiness of this language, the bride of Christ. But you know what? While we're here at this wedding, and while the whole world is gathered here, why don't we take advantage of that opportunity and just kind of mill around and, and, and talk to some people about why marriage matters. And again, since the whole world is here, and we can include even those who have died, because they too, while they rest in their graves, are waiting for Christ to return at this wedding. So yeah, there's dead people at this wedding. How fun. All right, and so we can talk to anybody. And since 4th of July is coming up on Thursday, why don't we talk to one of the founding fathers about marriage? So let's go ahead and like slither through the pews and make our way over to, I don't know, Benjamin Franklin. And we could ask Benjamin Franklin, why does marriage matter? And he would tell us this, that when you are approaching the marriage altar, you should keep your eyes wide open. After you are married, keep them half shut. So maybe Benjamin Franklin isn't the best person to ask about marriage, especially if you know his history. So maybe let's kind of worm our way over towards his more serious friend, John Adams. John Adams wrote this in a letter, that as long as there is marriage, knowledge, property, and influence will increase in families. As long as there's marriage, knowledge, property, and influence will increase in families. And you know who John wrote that to? John Adams wrote that to his wife, Abigail. Yeah, that was a letter to his wife. John, you dog. Man, if you were looking for a way to you know, put a spark back in that relationship, use John Adams' words, that king of hearts him. Yes, yeah, say to your wife, hey, you know what? As long as we're together, knowledge, property, and influence will accumulate in our families. Right? <laughs> for some strange reason, it seems as if government has always valued marriage. Even apart from the whole religious question, it's always put a value on marriage. Even to this day, even as... as our government doesn't even know what marriage is anymore. They still assign value to it. 
For example, there's the financial benefits, right? If you're cohabitating with somebody, if you're living together but not married, and you're dependent upon that person, that person dies, you likely get nothing. But if you're married to them and that person dies, you get their stuff. Yeah, that's really true. And you can also get insurance easier. You get survivor benefits. There are these legitimate financial reasons. But none of them are romantic, right? None of them are the reasons why we'd want to get married in the first place. But all that is to say that for some reason, all these people running around created by God have always assigned a value to marriage so that they even give it certain advantages. Now that we're done talking to some boring government folks, let's kind of worm our way back to the other side of the church and find some, some other church folks. Let's ask the, the church about, about marriage and why does that matter? And so maybe we find some church people standing there watching all this nonsense at the wedding and we go up to them and we ask them, why does marriage matter? Well, hopefully what you would hear from the church is first of all, you don't have to be married to be considered a member of a church. Sometimes that message gets really overplayed. Or, or you, you don't even have to be married to be accepted and have friendships in the church, because sometimes that message gets really overplayed. And you don't even have to be married to be loved by Jesus Christ. How about that? And the church would also say, I'd hope, that if your past has been troubled when it comes to marriage, or if your present is troubled when it comes to marriage, that that alone does not put you outside of the kingdom or outside of the grace of God or beyond hope. In fact, there's much hope. But all that put aside, why, why does marriage matter? Well, maybe they would point to what happened here last week. Remember when we had the, the foster parents here and we, we, we talked to them uh, during the sermon and they shared their experiences with us in our Foster Sunday. For the sake of the people that the church ministers to, marriage matters. There are so many foster children, even in our community, that have watched marriages disintegrate right in front of them. They've seen devastation and disaster rip right through their families. They've seen instability come and strike, tear everything apart. So then how important is it for those foster children to know that love and forgiveness can exist between two people? over a lifetime. It's something they haven't seen before. And if they are sent to a, a married couple, then they might get to see that. Or if they're connected to a larger family where there are married couples, they might get to see that. Or how about this? The church might say marriage matters whether you're married or not simply because, well, those people who are married around you, well, they in their homes are hopefully practicing love, forgiveness, and putting others before themselves. And if they're practicing that in, at home, they might practice it with you when they meet you at work, when, when they meet you out in their neighborhoods, when, when they meet you out in the world, wherever you might find them. And so if there are people experiencing that in their homes, then, then maybe it makes the world slightly better. And so the church would say marriage matters for this too. And so the church would say, also pray for, for marriage. Whether you're called to marriage, whether you're, you're past with marriage is troubled, or, or whether you're married, it doesn't matter. But, but pray for marriage for the sake of these things. And also, the church might point out that the way that, that the marriage is defined is different because it uses a scary word. 
a word that the rest of the world shudders to use. It uses the word forever, forever. When a marriage is blessed, the, the pastor says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The world defines marriage as two people with like interests who like or even love each other who try to give it a go for a time, and maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. We say marriage is forever. Because within marriage, especially for those who know the brokenness of it, wherever couples do hold together, they are lights of Christ, reminders of the eternal love of Jesus to the people around them. They are a witness. And for all the things that the church has to say about marriage, it needs to have its house in order and integrity to be able to say those things to the world. So now that we've heard from the church and, and from the government, let's sit down, because this wedding is taking a little while, rest our feet, and, and open up our Bibles. And, and maybe we would turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. That's our sermon verse for today, finally. And so here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, we have Paul saying that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And here in these words, we would be reminded of that love story between God and his bride, the church. We could, we could flip back to the beginning of, of, of the story where after Adam and Eve were created, they rebelled and sinned against God. And you can hear God ask that painful question as he's looking for Adam and Eve as they're hiding from him. God says, where are you? A heartbroken father looking for his children. Where are you? Where did you go? And they are hiding from him in shame. And we can move forward. And we can read God speaking to us through the prophet Malachi. And find out that when his people are wondering if God loves them or if God cares for them at all, we would find these words from the prophet Malachi. I have loved you. We could go back before Malachi and find Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who was, who was commissioned to go and marry a prostitute. Yeah, the prophet Hosea was told by God to marry a prostitute, an unfaithful woman, an adulterer, and Hosea is supposed to go and marry her. Why? As a sign of God's love for the way that his people, the way that his church time and time again give themselves over and over to other masters besides Jesus Christ, pursuing comforts of this world, pursuing selfish desires. We've sold ourselves out time and time again. And when we look at the prophet Hosea, we see the love of God who buys back his shameful bride again. In fact, Hosea actually has to buy back his bride a second time because she leaves him and God says, go back and get her. Such is the faithfulness of Christ to his church. And finally, we see this God who desires to be with his people come, take on flesh. And with his very body, he paid your bride price. With his very body, he paid your bride price. With his holy, precious, innocent, and priceless blood, he shed that for you to bring you into this covenant with himself, this eternal covenant, this everlasting covenant. So stand firm then. Stand firm, and while you're at this wedding, take note, the world does not want this marriage to happen. And so temptations will come to turn back to your selfish desires, to turn back to the spirit of adultery and lust 
don't stand firm. Stand firm then. And may it be that if every benefit of, for those who are called to marriage are, are taken away, if, if every tax and financial and cultural and social benefit, every tangible benefit of marriage, even if marriage itself became nothing but muck and pain and disaster for those who are engaged in it, may it be that those who are married and those who are not would support these relationships in any way they can out of obedience to God the Father. Because even if the blessings aren't seen, God has blessed it, and we take him at his word. May it be that we become those kind of disciples who stop pursuing what pleases us and pursue what pleases God above all else. May it be that we be those kind of disciples that stop pursuing what pleases us and pleases God above all else. If you are married, that means to remain faithful in marriage. If you are not, that means to be faithful in all of your relationships and to pray for marriage and to support it. I had a chance earlier this week, while still at this wedding, to hear from a couple tell me a story about their marriage. And I have to tell you, it's a roller coaster. You see, several months after they were married, not even a full year, but just several months, the man is sitting in, in, in his room, and it looks like he has kind of a thoughtful expression on his face. And his wife, bless her heart, as we say here in the South, bless her heart, she came up and asked him, what are you thinking? She asked. He answered. He said to her, you know, I was just thinking that I would rather die than be married to you. Yeah, that's right, John Adams. There's a new king of hearts in town. Yeah. <laughs> Men don't say that. <laughs> I would rather die than be married to you. And after that, all the ups and downs that I heard about, how, how so many times they had near divorces, how, how the wife's sexual history was brought into the marriage and she didn't realize how much it was impacting everything. How on one anniversary, the, they're sitting in their car together and the wife turns to the husband and says, you know what, I feel like I don't even know you. The kids don't even know you. You put work over and above us and, and you've hurt me in this way and you've hurt me in that way. And she went off on him and when she finally stopped, she expected him to return fire. But all she heard was the ratcheting sound of his car seat being pushed all the way back. And then she sees him turn around in his place in the car and get down on his knees and put his elbows on the car seat so that now he's facing backwards in the car and he prays for forgiveness. He repents of all the ways that he's hurt his wife and all the ways that he's hurt his children and all the mistakes. And he prays for his marriage that God would sustain it and help it. And when he finishes praying, he expects his wife to be looking at him like he's from outer space because so far that kind of thing had not really ever happened in their marriage. Instead, when he looks over, she's on her knees. She's praying too. So after all the warfare, fighting, finally, the fruit of the Spirit began to bloom and ripen in their marriage. Love, peace, patience, gentleness, and kindness, to name a few to grow so that it covered over all the weeds of selfishness and neglect and hurt. 
finally being rooted firmly in Christ, fruit began to show. May it be then that once again we pursue Christ in our relationships, whatever relationships they are, whether it is marriage or friendship or family or anything else. And say this warning as gently as I can. If you are unfaithful to your marriage or if you are unfaithful to your future marriage through adultery or whatever else, you will lose two things. Two things you can't get back. Time and hurt. Time spent healing over past wounds and hurts from words that you can never unsay or things you can never undo. Marriages do blossom and grow past these things because God is faithful and he loves even the unfaithful. He will bring us healing and he will do his work. So there's always hope. Pray that these things begin to blossom in all of our marriages, in all of our relationships. Because we're still at that wedding. We're standing in the back now. Having talked to a few people, having read some pages of scripture, we're standing now in the back, and the world is at war. It's at war with us over our faithfulness to Jesus. It's shouting at us, it's pointing at us, it's insulting us. It's even tearing pages out of the Bible in mockery over the things that we believe, and yet stand, stand there in the back, stand there ready to go, stand there with the fruits of the Spirit blossoming and growing inside of you. Stand there in faithfulness to your Lord in the belief and the certain promises that He is coming. Stand firm, resisting every temptation so that when the music starts and the Lord shows up and He calls your name, you, the bride of Christ, step forward and be with Him.